Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Today, we have an amazing guest with us. Our guest's name is Troy Hadid. Now, Troy was born in Trinidad. His father was of Middle Eastern descent, and his mother was of Irish ancestry. He was the youngest of three brothers, and they were brought up in a Catholic home. Now, when Troy was about 14, he was sent to detention, where his teacher gave him a text on yoga to read. And then he found himself going back to detention every lunchtime of his own free will to read more and more about yoga. Now, fast forward, fast forward to the current time. Troy, he has run a hemp store, not a head shop, but a hemp store for seven years, opened a waste cooking oil recycling business and sold it some years later because he wanted to dedicate his life to studying and teaching yoga. Now he's an international yoga teacher, a public speaker, and author. Troy, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thanks for having me, Dina. It is a pleasure to be here. This is wonderful. You know, I was reading the information that you had shared on your bio, and the I, I mean, I spent some time in detention myself a few times. <laughs> Just got to be honest about that. So the idea that a teacher is going to bring you, I mean, did the teacher think that was going to be a punishment to have to read a book on yoga? I mean, this is very interesting. Well, you know, for for many years, um, for about 20 years since I've been teaching yoga, I always said that I wished one day I could talk to him to tell him how he may have influenced my life, right? Um. And I got this message in my email inbox a few years back. And it was from him. And he said, I think I gave you the practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994. Eskaya And it came from a comment on my website, which usually goes to junk. Because it's usually all spam. But this one came through. So I replied to him and I got his phone number and I called him. And so we stay in touch every now and again. But he's the one that said to me, said, Troy, let me get your story straight. She's like, you were sent to detention. That's how you came into my room. And um, he further said, he said that um, he gave me that book as a joke. He's like, I don't even do yoga. I'm not even Hindu. He's like, I know nothing about yoga. But this was a text about brahmacharya, which is sexual conduct or sexual misconduct or how to conduct yourself in a sex, your sexual energy. He said, I gave it to a 14-year-old boy in his adolescence as a joke. He said, I never expected you to actually read it. He said, you read the entire thing and then you came to detention every lunchtime after that of your own free will to read more and read more and read more. And um, what's beautiful about that story is he says to me, he says, it's funny that you've been talking about me for the last 20 years. He said, because I've been talking about you for the last 25. 
He said, I've been talking about you as a 14-year-old boy who impressed me with his commitment to come and study and read these texts that most adults couldn't even read. And he says, how I found you is I now teach in Toronto, Canada. And he said he was telling his class about this 14-year-old kid called Troy Harid. And they Googled my name. And they said, do you know he's an international yoga teacher? And he was like, what? So that's how um, he found my website. And um, he says, look at that. Look at the synchronicity we have had. Speaking about one another and the impact we've had on each other's lives without a word. He had no idea what had come of my life. I had no idea what had come of his. Joy, let me ask you something. I know that many times people will use practices like yoga to really help them through harder times in their life, you know, something that they're having a difficult time dealing with. And so I'm kind of wondering for you, your experience at 14 years old, if there was anything going on with you at that time or later that you felt like yoga was really something that was something to hold on to at that time and practice to give you some mindfulness, some some peace to deal with yeah. the the crises or issues that you might have been facing? Um, at that age, no. I don't think I realized um, at 14. All I knew was what I was reading made sense to me. And I was into it. And I was called to read more and read more and read more and read more. And it wasn't just yoga texts, but I think he gave me a series of different texts I would go up and read. Now, I didn't practice yoga as we know it. You know, when we think of yoga, we think of yoga postures, what we call asana. Yoga is actually so much more than these postures, right? These postures are just such a very small part of what yoga is. But when I graduated university at 21, I came back home and people would ask, well, what are you going to do? I thought, well, I'm going to teach yoga. And be like, well, do you do yoga? I'd be like, nah. But I knew I was going to be a yoga teacher, right? Um, and I didn't actually consistently start practicing postures or asana probably until I was about 24. But now that I have uh, knowledge about what yoga actually is, I understand that, you know, I was actually dialed into the real practice and teachings of yoga long before I even knew what yoga was. And um, that's because, for me, I think one of the greatest yoga practitioners that ever walked the planet was a man called Jesus. And I know a lot of people would, would, who are of organized religion or faith might say, how can you say that? That's blasphemy. Well, not really. Not if you really understand what yoga is and not if you really understand the teachings of Christ. And um, the very foundation of the teachings of yoga, Dana, is realization with God. It's the acknowledgement of our interconnectedness. It's, It's the realization that we are not actually separate individuals, that we are part of this one whole collective consciousness that is also God. And, um, you know, they have that beautiful word namaste that we love to throw around the yoga world. Well, namaste means that the God within me acknowledges the God within you. 
So to actually see and acknowledge divinity in everyone and everything around us, that is the fundamental essence of yoga. And that is the fundamental teachings of a man called Jesus. You know? Yeah, I, that's really interesting. And I, I want to point out and hear your thoughts on the difference between when someone says, I am God versus God yeah. within me. Because I know there's, a, there's some individuals out there, and, and, and I'm one of these people that I'm like, everybody's on their own path, okay? I'm not, yeah. I'm not a fan of judging and carrying on. I just want everyone to kind of have a, a platform to speak their thoughts and feel heard and that kind of thing. And so I've interacted with some people along the way. And also I can remember um, seeing something because my degree is in clinical psychology. And yeah. a lot of people, not everyone by any means, but a lot in that field um, can tend to view religion as a crutch. They tend to want yeah. to more focus on the, the human being and saying, I am God. And I remember being in, a, in an elevator one time in graduate school and looking up on the wall, the, the metal wall, and someone had taken in a Sharpie marker and put that man is God yeah. and wrote that on the wall. And of course, like I said before, each to his own. All right. But I think that's curious. And I would like to hear your thoughts on the difference between someone saying God within me, you know, the collective versus yeah. I am God, man is God. So do you yeah. see a difference or not? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I will explain how I view it. And I will say this. I personally don't connect to a dualistic reality. And what I mean by that, because I don't like to talk in esoteric mumbo-jumbo terms, right? What, what I mean by that is the only way to discover who I really am is for me to dissolve the word I. Because the second I use the word I, I am this, I am that, that implies that I am separate from everything else. Okay. You know, and we have this identity is ingrained in us. Our individual identity is ingrained in us from the day we are born. We are told in narrative, I am Troy, this is my body. And everything we live, everything as we grow up into adulthood and, and our personality revolves around that individual identity and strengthens it. So much so that we say things like, I am Catholic. Well, does that mean if I change my religion, I no longer exist? We say things like, I am fat. Does that mean if I lose weight, I no longer exist? Or we say, I am Republican, or I am a podcast guest or a podcast host. We define ourselves by these labels. But these are not who we are. If, if these were things that we were, then we could never be something else. And for me, Dana, I'm going to answer your question shortly. For me, Dana, somebody would have an extremely hard time convincing me that I am anything associated with my body. Because I know, not just I believe, but I know 
the resonance and vibration of my actions, my words, and my thoughts as I live through this human experience will never die. So I know I will never die. I cannot die. Energy is created and destroyed. It's neither created nor destroyed. It merely changes state, right? It carries on forever. And, uh, you know, I believe this was one of the greatest teachings of Christ that people aren't putting their finger on. He rose again from the dead to prove to us that we are not our bodies. And he said, he said, you will do far greater things than I have ever done. And I don't want to go back to that, but I want to answer your question, right? So I am okay with somebody saying, I am God. As long as they understand, that means everyone else is God as well. As long as they understand that everything and everyone around them is also God. And you must, and you must hold that entire perspective. You can't say, I am God, but these things aren't God. That, it doesn't work like that. Like, if you are pretending to understand our divine nature, then you have to embrace all of it. You can't be selective. You know, for, for so many generations, God has been portrayed as exclusive. Mm. And God is not exclusive. Religion did that. But God came before religion. Religion didn't create God. And it's important for us to recognize that God is inclusive. That means there are no exceptions to who or what God touches. Does that kind of answer your question? It does. I've been in conversations where, and also me being with my background in psychology, you know, I'm also wanting and, and helping people, helping my patients to realize, you know, their own capabilities and their own strength and, and their own spirituality and, and really kind of coming into their own with that. And at the same time, recognizing, I, I mean, I've said before in, in prior podcasts, I happen to be Christian. I just, I'm, I don't make any yeah. mistake about that. And I'm very open with that. And also very open with other people and, and their beliefs. And I'm very interested in hearing a lot of different beliefs about things. It's very intriguing to me. I think sometimes the conversations that I've been involved with are when someone, and they kind of hit hit a wall where they feel like the the only capacity they have is is what is is what is human. It's like they, yeah. they, they wall themselves off from the divine. They they don't accept that part that is that is separate but included. Does that make sense? It's just like uh, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think Dana and I would um I would explain it like this. And for listeners who are listening who may not necessarily connect to Christ in any way whatsoever. I speak of Christ because that is my teacher, and I speak of Christ outside the context of organized religion. So they can take these things however they want, however it lands for them. But I feel like, and it's not just Christianity, 
But through a lot of organized religion, we are fed this narrative of sin, right? Which is our humanness. And I understand, I understand the concept of sin in that we are human, we, make, we will make mistakes. But I do not necessarily connect with the idea that we are born into sin and that we are born sinners. Because I think that narrative, in a lot of ways, is a cop-out. Mm. It's an excuse. It allows us to deny responsibility. And it's a lot easier, actually, to believe that I was born a, a sinner. I'm always going to sin. I'm human, and I'll always mess up. And I know that's not exactly narrative that's told, but if you look at the subtle energy and overview of it, that is kind of the narrative, I think. I think the teachings of Christ, or what 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 Jesus came to teach us is actually very different. I always say that I don't believe he had any intention of freeing us of sins. I don't believe that he saw a need to do that. I think what he came to do was show us how we could live our lives. He came to set an example of what we are capable of. And Teachings like, you will do far greater things than I have ever done. Things like, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I don't believe that was a metaphor. I don't believe that was poetic. I believe that was very literal. And I think that the, the, what, what Jesus came here is to, to tell us to wake up to take responsibility for a world we are creating and to, to do better, to show us that we are so much more than we've been told we were. And um, that, that's how I, I look at it, Dana, is I'm not okay believing that we are mere mediocre humans who don't know any better. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are creations of God. We are seeds of God. How dare I disrespect God's creation and, and tell, tell, tell myself a narrative that I'll never be good enough. I'm very careful not to, I hope people don't get offended when I share things, but I went to church the other day because I'm not against religion, right? So when I'm called to go to church, I'll go to church for ceremony or whatever. And I want to say it was a funeral. And it was time for us to receive communion. And I heard the words repeated that I've heard ever since I was a child. And it was something, I don't know if it was just my church, if it's generally done in Catholic and Christian churches. Um, but it implied that I am not worthy enough to receive the body of Christ. I am not worthy to receive you. I believe I words. And I said to myself, why would we say that? I am worthy to receive God. I am worthy to receive the body of Christ. How dare I repeat the words that say, I am not worthy. And, um, you know, 
we, we often talk about words being so powerful and thoughts being so powerful. And I think sometimes we need to look at the words we say, look at the prayers we repeat. And rather than just repeating these prayers and these things, to really look at what is being said and ask ourselves, do I actually believe that? You know? Mm -hmm. I like that. I like, and I think that's really important to pay attention to what we're hearing and what we're saying and to, to challenge, to question things. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get back to something you were saying earlier, because I, I agree with that part. And I, I really wanted to kind of, to unpack that a little bit more sure. talking, you, you brought up Christ and it's like, so on the one hand, being a Christian, I believe that he came because we can't get into heaven on our own merit. Yeah. Otherwise, why did he even, he would, he, otherwise he would just be like anybody else walking the planet who happened to have a, a, a few good uh, behavioral patterns, you know? Um, yeah. There's a lot of standout people throughout history, but being Christian, I believe he was, he was God and man and it was by his sacrifice. But the thing of it, but so I believe that, but what's also true, what I wanted to get back, what you said earlier was the way he lived his life was so different than what you see a lot of the churches representing. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on my podcast, because it was, um, it was one of your uh, questions that you put on Podmatch you had a close relationship with Christ and main, you maintain that, but you call BS on many views of the church and organized religion. So oh, did I write that? Yeah, it's, it was on Podmatch. <laughs> so it's like what, what I wanted to talk about really in kind of unpacking that a little bit was I think that sometimes we veer away from the actual life of Christ because he was a, he was a rebel. I mean, he shook, Shut up. I mean, he, yeah. the, the organized religion at the time, the, the Jews and what they were practicing at the time, he called the, the hoity toity, the, the Pharisees, you know, he called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And they were yeah. the ones that were walking around in their fancy robes, saying their fancy prayers and making, making, look at me, look at me, saying my fancy prayers and looking all fancy dancy. Meanwhile, Jesus was the one going to homes that for the most part, it took his disciples a while. They wouldn't even cross the threshold because they're like, those people are unclean. We can't go yeah, in there. Yeah. And Jesus was going right in there, sitting down, eating with them, talking with them, touching them, hugging them, loving them and talking about himself. And he just went, I just love, love, love that about him. And we've gotten so far away you you said earlier about how Christ was inclusive, and it, yeah. that's very much what he was. And he went to the people that had been marginalized by society, the ones that were being thrown, like the the woman that was found in adultery, and they threw her. Yeah. And they all wanted to throw rocks at her, and they were all looking at him like, you know, are you going to participate? We're all going to throw rocks. And he calmly yeah. looked at them, and he said, "That's fine." whichever one of you has never sinned, feel free to throw the first stone. And so he was so, he was such a champion for the underdog. And he told her, yeah. no, there's no one here left to condemn you. Neither do I. 
go and sin no more, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts on and what was behind your comment about that you called BS on many of the views of organized religion and that kind of thing. Well, that could be a whole that could be a whole separate show, but um, <laughs> it, it boils down to the fact that God is portrayed as exclusive. If you're not baptized in the church, you're not going to have one. That's exclusive. That's uninclusive. And then they'll say, "Oh, well, God still loves you, but you're not baptized, so you're not going to heaven." Like, come on. Like, that is exclusive. That is not love. And then there's this thing where, you know, it, it's so elementary that I almost don't like to repeat it, but God gives you freedom, but if you don't do and live in accordance to what God wants, you're going to be punished in hell for eternity. Well, is that really freedom then? That's not freedom. That's do this or else you'll be punished. You can choose to be punished, but in order not to be punished, you have to do what I want you to do. So it doesn't gel to me. There's no love in that. Love is an unconditional love. Love can only exist when there's freedom. And for there to be freedom, your love cannot waver dependent upon someone's decision. Because if your love wavers according on someone acting in accordance to your wishes, then it's not really love. Then your love is actually self-serving. And I don't believe God's love is limited. I believe it is absolutely unconditional. And I believe, let me explain it this way, Dana. I think this way is, is um, hits home. God wants to be loved. And I believe that a lot of the time we're fed the narrative that we should fear God. And you can't love someone you're afraid of. You can't understand someone you're afraid of because you can't get close enough to them. And if I, if I was in a relationship, if me and you, Dana, were in a relationship, I don't want you to act in a way that pleases me because you're afraid of my reaction or because you're afraid of what would happen if you didn't. Mm-hmm. I want you to act in a way that pleases me because you love me. God wants us to act in a certain way because we can see his divine hand in all of creation, even in the darkest aspects of our world. He doesn't want us to act in a certain way because we're afraid of eternal punishment. That's selfish. That's a self-serving action. We're only doing it to preserve our own well-being. God doesn't want to be feared. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a massive history buff, so I'm not going to get into it. But if you really look at religion, you have to begin to question if there were, this is not just Christianity, this is a lot of organized religion, but you have to begin to question if there were some ulterior motives. 
right? If they were in some way trying to manipulate how people lived or what people did or, or, or you know, like that question has to arise. And in reality, to me, Dana, is this. And I always say I'm not against organized religion. Anything that connects someone to their understanding of God, I'm 100% for it. But no matter what someone's belief system, the closest you can come to understanding divinity and God is through your own experience. Mm -hmm. That is actually the only way. Because no matter what text or what scripture or what writing or what story or what narrative, the only way you know it to be true is because you were told it was true. But you're assuming that the story you've been told was right and was accurate. We're actually assuming that the story we've been told that is centuries long has been retold and retold and retold. We are assuming that there are no inaccuracies of that telling, that everything was 100% as it was said and done. And that's just impossible. So for me, Dana, I believe that God speaks to every individual, every single individual. And I believe that every person has the ability to nurture their own unique divine connection to God. And from, a, from when I was young, I never allowed anybody to tell me who God was or what God looked like or what God wanted. And I would never do that to anyone else. But I would invite people to create time and room and space in their own lives to really question the narratives they were told and to cultivate their own unique relationship to God. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I got one last question for you, and then I'm going to ask you about your book, okay? Because I want to talk about sure. that in just a second. From your perspective, and especially from your background with all the studies that you've done and the knowledge that you have about yoga and also your, your feelings about the divine and the God experience, from all the people that you've met in your lifetime, how do you see them different? For example, a person who is not in touch with the divine, they, they have separated themselves from that, whether it's they never really thought about it or whether they've intentionally separated themselves from it for different reasons, like everybody's on their own path. Yeah. How have you seen and how would you like qualify the difference between someone who is in touch with the divine that that part of themselves, that, that they have that closeness with God versus someone who is is walking their life separate from that. What yeah. what has been your observations from the people that you run into over your lifetime? I've come to understand, Dana, that everyone, there are no exceptions to what I'm about to say. Everyone is a child of God or God incarnate, everyone. The only difference is our conditioning, our experiences, how we were brought up, how we were nurtured, 
whether we, we experience love. Some people don't know what love is because they've never experienced it. It's, it. it's impossible to look at someone and tell them they should know better. Suppose they never had someone to show them better, mm -hmm. to teach them better. Suppose no one ever experienced, someone has never experienced what forgiveness is, what compassion is. Suppose somebody's understanding of love came from their abusive parent and they came to understand that's what love was. Mm -hmm. And I think it is fundamental for us in the world today to begin to put someone's actions aside, someone's mistakes aside. And even the, the, what we see, the story, you know, I have this beautiful tattoo here that says, ignore story, see the soul. And um, it's from one of my teachers, Sean Korn, who got it from her teacher. But we live in a world now where all we see is someone's story. We see what they've done, we see what they look like, we see their race, their genders, their clothing, their dress, their opinions. We see all these are their stories. But the story is all conditioning. And if you, we can see one another beneath that, then we can see the soul that lives inside of everyone. And that soul is of God. That soul is God. And if we can begin to see someone as that, rather than seeing someone as their conditioning, then I always say forgiveness it's no longer optional, but inevitable. Inevitable. Because you can pick anyone in this world who has maybe done the most atrocious and inhumane of things. And if we were grown up in their circumstances with their parents and their conditioning, chances are we might be the exact same way. And it's so important to understand that we are all conditioning. And if we can start to see somebody as that, then we can love them and help them reprogram, help them rewrite their conditioning rather than condemn them for conditioning that they really had no, no, no involvement with. Mm. You know? Yes, I, yes. So I know I said I was going to go. So I'm. I've got another question now. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. I have time. So I love. Okay, I have two thoughts about what you just said. On the one hand, I love, love, love the whole idea of looking beyond how someone has been conditioned and seeing, you know, who they were. Because lots of times when I talk to my patients and and we're talking about patterns and things, I'm like, you know, at some point that person was a toddler. Imagine that person yeah. as a toddler walking around before all the icky happened to them, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of what, what you're talking about. Or, or I said, at some point yeah. you were a toddler. I said, you were a toddler walking around at some point and before all this stuff happened to you and you developed all these defense mechanisms to deal with all the icky stuff. So that is fabulous. And I, I think that is kind of what you were saying. I think along, along that together, like right beside is also, I talk to people who they're in relationships with people 
who have no interest in changing. They are continuing to engage in hurtful and dysfunctional and pathological behavior patterns. And they're not, they have no intention of stopping. There might be some listeners out there that are listening to us talking right now, and they might be in a relationship with someone that they're trying to look beyond the conditioning. They're trying to remember this person when they were a toddler, but this person that they're in a relationship with has no interest in forgiveness or, or, or changing or anything like that, they are going to continue to interact with them in a very hurtful, abusive way. And so I feel like there's a difference between being able to see beyond that, you know, for behaviors of the past versus something that someone is saying, I'm going to continue to abuse you. I have no intention of stopping that if that's the case, then we have the responsibility and the right to draw that line, draw it to put a boundary and say, I, I, I love you as a person, but I'm not going to participate in this abusive interaction that you want to do with me. Yeah. So those are the the two thoughts that I had. Yeah. And I'm really glad you, you bring that up, Dana, because you know, we, um, we so often think of, like love, like flowers and rainbows and butterflies and bunnies. Um, Love is actually fierce. Love is courageous. And love is like rebellious. And um, I think it's important for us to note that forgiveness and acceptance are two different things. Two completely different things. And I always say that Real love, if you love someone, real love is willing to lose that person forever. If you're not willing to lose that person forever, then there is some kind of codependency in your love. There's some kind of codependency. And if you are allowing someone to treat you in a way that is hurtful and harmful and wrong, not only, first of all, you are being disrespectful to the God within you. Mm. And you, you are now feeding the toxicity of someone else. And if you are putting up with that action because you are afraid to lose that person, then your love is codependent. You are not, that is not actually love at all. You are only loving that person because of the security they provide for you. And I have this thing um, where I take this perspective on love. You know, very often we like to say this is love and this is not love, right? But it's not black and white. What I invite people to do is ask a question, what is being loved? In any moment, what is being loved? Because even the darkest of actions can be love. And again, I'm going to choose my words really carefully because I know it's a whole sensitive issue. But take, for instance, an abuser. 
an abuser might be acting out of love. But it's a love of power. It's a love of greed. But it's still love. It's not a love of someone else's well-being. If I am sitting now next to someone who is hungry and starving and I am eating food and I choose not to share my food, that is still love. It's just a love of my personal needs and desires over a love of the person next to me. And um, I like this perspective because if I say something is not love, then it's dead. It can never become love. But if I can put my finger on something and, and show how that love is a selfish love or limited love, then we can take that love and expand it. But to say something is not love, I believe love lives everywhere. And I think we have to start asking the question, what is being loved? And in that situation of an abuser, if I am in an abusive relationship and I am putting up with my abuser, even though it is hurtful to me and even though I know those actions and deeds are toxic to them, and I am putting up with that, that is not loving them. That is me loving what they provide me. Mm. And um, I think asking that question could be could be really useful. Troy, I 100% agree with that. That is really fantastic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end with that before I ask you about your book. So listeners, that's really key. What is being loved? So think about that when you're processing your relationships, your friendships, your your coworkers, your romantic relationships. What is being loved? That's an excellent question, Troy. Yeah. I mean, hit the hit the ball out of the park with that one. That was awesome. So before we end wrap up today, I want to make sure that we talk about your book is called Popcorn in My Pocket. That is, yeah. What does this mean, Popcorn in My Pocket? Man, you know what's so funny, Dana, is my editor um, is set on changing the name of the book. Okay. So, which I'm open to. I'm open to. Um, but the name does, does tell you a little bit when I explain what Army Book is about. So, Popcorn in My Pocket was a name I came up with when I was like 20 years old, by the way. And I said, Popcorn, I, I ate some old popcorn in my pocket. And I said, Popcorn in My Pocket is going to be the name of my first book. <laughs> so, I just stuck with it. I had no clue what it would mean, but it, it got me this far. So the, um, the slant I take on the analogy is this. Popcorn is like all these spiritual insights and teachings and philosophies that we talk about that song also profound and life-altering. And a pocket is a spiritual pocket. And I believe that every individual has their own spiritual pocket. But I believe that what's happening now in the world is that we're taking all this popcorn and we're just tossing it around. We're reposting it, we're sharing it, we're rereading it, whatever. And we're not, we're not asking question, how does this apply to my life? Mm -hmm. We're not taking any time. We're looking at, yeah, this is where I embody love. But we're not looking at the areas of our life where we don't embody love. 
And uh, so, so what this book is, is me talking about these teachings and insights and philosophies, but also sharing stories from my life, how, where they show up or where I feel to embody them and sharing with the reader how it sits in my pocket and then inviting the reader to discover how it sits in their own pockets and how it really applies to their life. I like that. Because I think, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of talk now and there's not enough understanding and there's not enough embodiment or application of these teachings. And I agree with you, There's especially with social media. There's so much posting, reposting, tweeting, retweeting, and we don't even really stop and pause long enough to absorb it and really figure out how does this really, why does this matter? And what difference is this going to make in my life? So I like that a lot. So Troy, before I let you go, I want to make sure that the listeners that we have out there, they're thinking, oh my gosh, this Troy Hadid is amazing. And I really liked what he had to say. And I really would want more of this guy. So what I have here is, is it still TroyHadid.com? Is that where they go? Yep. Yeah. That's my website. And, um, they could sign up for my newsletter there and they will get the first news of my book. That is a promise. And um, I'm also quite active on Instagram. So they can also follow me on Instagram, reach out if they have any questions whatsoever. And um, yeah, I would, be, I would love to be of service on anyone's journey. And um, if people do want to work one-on-one, that is something I do. And if they reach out and they mention your podcast, they will get 15% off. Fabulous. Thank you, Troy. Thank you so much. Thank you for being my guest and taking your time and your energy to come and really listen and process with me today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Dina. It means a lot. Okay, listeners. I know that you have heard things today that have been so meaningful to you and or maybe you're thinking, I have a coworker or I have a friend or I have a relative that they would love this. They have got to hear what Troy has to say. If that's the case, then I would strongly suggest that you you copy and paste the link onto your, you know, you can do it through texting, you can do it through email, you can post it on your, your popular social media platforms. Let's spread the word. Let's let's expand the Phoenix and Flame community and reach out so we know that we're not alone and we're in this together and helping one another on this journey. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame. <laughs>